doing? Good. It is a real pleasure for me to be with you today. I thank you so much for inviting me to come and join you. Um, we are in a topic today that is a deep one. And of course, there's no way we're going to be able to cover every aspect of this particular topic, being the hands and feet of Jesus in the amount of time we have. So, you know, anytime you want to just like have coffee or whatever, call me and we'll go out and we'll discuss it at length. But we are going to take this text of scripture as our starting point. So if you want to turn there, uh, we'll camp out there most of the day. But as you're doing that, I wanna just tell you a story about a time in my life when I learned about being the hands and feet of Jesus. Um, many, many years ago, both of our sons went on summer missions trips that required them to go to Merritt Island, Florida and live in tents for two weeks learning, it was a boot camp. They were learning basic construction techniques and things like that. Now this is in late June, so think about the weather in Florida in a tent in Merritt Island, which is right next door to, what is it called? Is it Cape Canaveral? Is that what they call it now? Cape Kennedy, whatever they call it now. Anyway, they share a borderline, this property and, and those folks. So two weeks, they are living in a tent. They are bathing in the lake behind them that has alligators in it. So nothing is really clean. These are American teenagers, y'all, learning what it is to get down to the nitty gritty. Then, at the end of the two-week time frame, they have a commissioning ceremony, and they have this gigantic big-top uh, circus tent that has you know, all the kids come in for worship and for teaching every day, and that's where they do the commissioning. Well, on this particular night, there was a driving tropical rainstorm just pouring. They, by the time they finished everything, they were soaked to the skin. But then, this particular team was departing that very night, so they had to get all their possessions packed and loaded on top of the mission's bus, uh, one of those old yellow school buses, no air conditioning. They had to load everything up on top of the bus, and then they had to go break down their personal campsite and clean everything up, then get on the bus. Now, we're talking about like over 30 people, the majority of them hormonal teenagers, who reek a smell, if you know what I'm talking about. And they are now sweaty and muddy and soaked to the skin with rain. And they get on that bus together, the windows are closed because of the rain, and they went to some local motel that had made an arrangement that these kids could come in and take a quick shower before they drove from Florida to LA to get on a plane to go to the Australian outback. Now, they were taught to pack all of their personal possessions, their clothes and whatever, in those big two-gallon-sized Ziploc bags. Are you with me on this? <laughs> they take off those muddy, sweaty, dirty clothes, and they shove them in Ziploc bags and seal them tight and drive in June without air conditioning from Florida to Arizona. And blessed be the name of the Lord. One of the other families had, in Arizona had two girls on that team. So we hosted those kids for two nights. The boys came to us and the girls went to the girls' parents' house. And Robin, she thinks I'm a germaphobe. I said to those leaders, is there anything I can do for you? And they said, laundry? Sure, bring it. Not knowing what was in Ziploc bags sealed in that bus. And they dumped those clothes all over my kitchen floor, Robin Davis. And I know, thank you. 
blessed be the name of the Lord. Listen, y'all, that is when I learned that the hands and feet of Jesus could be truly filled with joy overflowing in the most unlikely circumstances. I loved it. I was so blessed as those kids slept in the air conditioning, which they were so grateful for, as they camped out in every nook and cranny of our house and slept through the night. I did laundry. I ran our machines all night long. I went through one of those, an entire five pound bag of baking soda along with the detergent. And all I did was just laundry and walked around and prayed for those kids. I thought, listen, if God has called you to go serve him and take the gospel to the uttermost parts of the earth, I can do your laundry and equip you to go. And I was so blessed to be able to do it. And that was when I got a glimpse for the first time that serving the Lord with gladness in the craziest set of circumstances was really and truly possible. So, principles of leadership for women. Y'all are coming up on that. Let's touch on that a little bit. But I want to say this. If you have not accepted Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, then this study is really not going to apply to you because this is all about the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And if you have not built your house upon that rock, that foundational rock of faith, then none of this is going to make sense. We can in our own strength, serve the Lord, but it's gonna get us nowhere. And in the end, we are going to find that it has been wood, hay, and stubble, and it's all gonna be for naught. So it is so important to understand that what I'm going to share with you is all about Jesus Christ being Lord over you. And I know this from experience. I can do it in my own strength for a limited amount of time, but it is not going to be fruitful. And then, where are you? And if you want to have treasure stored in heaven, that gold and silver and precious stones, you must be building on the foundation of Jesus Christ. And if you have not accepted Jesus and you're in here today, when I'm done, you come talk to me and we'll get that taken care of today. Listen, last month, uh, Sharon shared with us the sitting at the feet of Jesus teaching, and it was beautiful. And I'm telling you, you have an open invitation that you should take, avail yourself upon every single solitary day to go and sit alone with your Savior, to sit at his feet, because when you do that, it equips you to get up and then put on your big girl panties and get out there and go serve the Lord with gladness. And whether or not you, you acknowledge in your life right now that you are leading someone, we all are leading someone somewhere. This sweet mom back here, you know, her ministry now is, is in the nursery. Uh, I am potty training, helping to potty train my two and a half year old granddaughter. I'm telling you, there's a ministry right there. I thought those days were gone, but Ronnie will talk later. Uh, anyway, when you have the, the, the idea, the truth, firmly established in your heart and mind that Jesus is Lord of all, then you can, Come with thanksgiving and with joy and serve him in whatever he calls you to do. Remember, uh, Peter's mother-in-law was very sick with a high, high fever. And Jesus came in and entered the scene and touched her instantly. Her fever left her and immediately she got up and began to serve him. If you do not have the touch of Jesus on your life, you cannot serve him well and truly. So let's go ahead and talk about servants. And we're going to read that uh, portion of scripture from 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. It says, Let a man regard us in this manner, 
as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. In this case, moreover, it is required of stewards that one be found trustworthy. As I was preparing and studying for this teaching, I was surprised to find out how many different Greek words are available to us for the word servant. It's a very fruitful study. I encourage you to undertake it. I just want to show you a few of those options here. We won't take time to look at all of these, but I want you to see this list and understand it is only partial, and it is only the New Testament. Some of those words may be familiar. The diakonos is the, the, we translate it deacon. So if you have someone in your midst who is serving as a deacon or deaconess, when you see that word in the New Testament, you'll know what you're talking about. The bond slave is probably the most commonly discussed one, at least in my experience. This is the one with the pierced ear. This is the one who, for the love of his master, when his servitude is up, says, I love my master more than I love anything out in the world, and I choose to remain your slave, your bond slave forever. They take this individual to the doorpost of the house, place the earlobe on the doorpost, and then the master will take an awl and pierce the ear, drives that tiny little piece of flesh into the doorpost of the house, and it's symbolic that you are now married by choice to this house, to your master's house. A special earring is given to that one, and from then on, as they walk about and do their business, it's an elevated position, and everyone, slave and free in the Roman world, knew when they saw that earring that your master was so important to you that you gave up your freedom to serve for the rest of your life. That's a powerful thing. So we hear about the doulos a lot. Uh, the therapon is another kind of... Uh, servant in the New Testament, and we get our word therapy from that. I'll let you all study these deeply as you see these three remaining ones that are listed here. We're going to talk about two others beyond this list that we learn about here in 1 Corinthians, but for now, I just want to encourage you, if you are a diligent student of the Bible, to take this study upon yourself, and uh, it will be fruitful for sure. But we must hasten on here. Are you all feeling with me a, a sense of urgency about the time in which we're living? Are y'all seeing that our culture is in crisis? You know, as the days of Noah, y'all, we are standing on the precipice of that. I cannot believe, in some, sometimes when I watch the news or whatever, I cannot believe that God has not yet judged the United States of America, and I mean judged. You follow me? But we are living in a time that is fulfilling the word we will, we will call what is evil good, and that which is good we will call evil. That is happening around us all the time. It is to the point where this generation of young people that are growing up are finding it hard to identify the difference between male and female. I mean, this is a, a thing, a phenomenon that's sweeping through our nation, and I will talk about that a little bit more in a minute. And our God, Almighty, has called us to such a time as this. He has given us the charge to take his gospel to this lost and dying world. And I feel as though the, that hourglass of time is on its last grain of sand. We could be out of here in a minute. Speaking of that, I do believe in the imminent appearing of Jesus Christ. So I highly support the idea of ice cream for breakfast. Amen. I just want you to know that right now. So, I digress. As servant leaders, 
women. What are we to do right now in what is perhaps the last age of grace? We get our marching orders in part from this uh, portion of scripture. 1 Corinthians 4.1 again, let a man regard us in this manner as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. In this case, moreover, it is required of stewards that one be found trustworthy. The first word I would like to look at in this scripture is the word regard. Let a man, and y'all, that's Mr. and Mrs. Man, that's mankind. Let mankind regard us. This is an accounting word. It deals with facts, not opinion, not supposition or um, any, anything other than tangible, physical facts. The first time it's used in scripture, you see there, uh, and the scripture was fulfilled, which says, and he was numbered with transgressors. That is an historical fact. Jesus was crucified between two, count them, one, two, tangible, countable fact. And that is what we are supposed to be. We are supposed to be factual and countable. So when I read this, I think if someone were to take inventory, take an accounting of my life, what would they find? And what would they find in you? And if you honestly went alone with the Lord and took an inventory of your life, are you satisfied with what you can find there? The fact of it, not how you feel about things, but what is the fact? Let a man regard, take inventory of us as servants of Christ. Genuinely, it's important to go humbly before the Lord with a heart that is genuinely looking for his opinion, because his tally is really the only one that counts. We can put on a good show and show up and, and make everybody think we are just, you know, spectacular. People, the world that's watching can be fooled. They can be fooled and they can either credit us with too much or too little of substance based on their opinion of us. That's not the opinion we need to be seeking. We need to get alone with the Lord and say, search me, oh God, and try me and know my thoughts and see if there's any wicked way in me and then lead me in the everlasting way. It's so important that we do that. And that's not a one-time deal, y'all. It's not one per customer. You get in there like every day when you're sitting at the feet of Jesus. That's so important to do. And when he reveals the truth to you, because he will, you need to pray that he will grant you the repentance that you need, that you will go away from whatever it is that displeases him, that is not accounted for his glory and leave it. And don't be like the dog returning to its vomit to just keep going back to do the same wrong things again. And again, I'm speaking to myself. I'm looking in the mirror of God's word when I'm telling you this. There are times when I have to go back to the Lord and say, I did it again. I was here five minutes ago over this and I did it again. So I understand that it is an ongoing process, but he has called us to occupy until he comes. And that doesn't mean just take up space. This is take ground and, and hold it. Occupy, he says, until I come. That is trans, could be translated do business. We get our word pragmatic from it. Be pragmatic, practical what, until I come. So this becomes step one, regard. 
take inventory, honest inventory. And when the refiner's fire begins to cleanse and purify what is wood, hay, and stubble, ladies, don't run around like a mad woman trying to stamp it out. You just let it burn. Let it go. And when he puts it out, go back through and see if there's anything of gold and silver and precious stones on which you can then build. Let a man regard us in this manner as servants of Christ. This is an interesting word, servant. It is the Greek word huperates. And a huperates is an under rower. This word came to mean anyone that uses their hands in uh, submission to another. And the first time that you see it mentioned here is this account and the word officer down toward the bottom of that verse. He is the guy that will put his hands on you and throw you in prison if you don't comply here. But the officer who lays his hands on you is under the judge. So the word came to mean anyone who is serving in a subordinate position. But originally it was applied to, came from the under rower. And it boggles my mind, y'all, as I get ready to share this with you, because Paul, the apostle who is writing this to us, remember, he has come through incredible stuff. And I think Paul, you know, I, would you agree with me? He's a pretty big deal in, in Christianity. I mean, this is guy that is up there in the higher echelons of people who've contributed to the cause of Christ. And he says, I am calling myself an under rower. And he calls you an under rower as well. Jesus said, I no longer call you servants. I call you friends. That it is too high, I cannot attain to it, that the King of kings and Lord of lords of this universe would call me friend, that blows my mind. And in light of all that he has saved me from and all that he is yet to save me from, he still calls me a friend. So I wanna be like Paul, who persecuted Christians, was responsible for the death of the saints. He said, I am an under rower. Now, the under rower is literally the man in the lowest part of a Roman warship called a trireme. It was a three-decked ship. These were slaves who were chained in the bottom of that boat, chained to their spot. No sunlight, no fresh air. Most often they died chained there. And they had one job to do, and that was put their hands on the oars and row. Now, these are warships. So you might, if you've ever seen the movie Ben-Hur, anybody? You, then you might have a, a, a picture in your head what this looked like. So they don't know where they're going. They're just pulling at the oars. The captain of the ship is the boss. He's the one that knows where they're going. They gotta trust that he knows what he's doing. And all of a sudden you hear him ramming speed and there's a drummer in the back who starts just beating and your thing is to just pull with the speed of, that someone else is beating out. All you're supposed to do is pull on those oars. Very often, they just died in their spot because the drummer would beat the fool out of that drum and the life out of those under rowers. And they just throw them overboard and get the next guy in there. The thing that struck me as I was looking at this, and I saw this for the first time many, many years ago, and it's still just every time I think, how can this possibly be? If you're chained down there in the bottom of that ship, no sunlight, as I said, it's a filthy, stifling, uh, no freedom, I mean, think, uncomfortable life. What happens if you have to go? 
Y'all, you just go. Chained right there, you just go. But here's the deal. So does the guy who's chained on the deck above you and the guy who's chained on the deck above him. Gives a whole new meaning to the trickle-down effect. Think. Paul says, I am an under-rower for Christ. Let every man regard us as servants, as under-rowers of Christ. That is astounding to me. And Jesus said, I no longer call you servants. I call you friends. Listen, there is not a sin I have missed. And I don't think too highly of you either. Because I know you're no better. And if you doubt it, go read the Sermon on the Mount. Because if you've even been angry at someone in your heart, murderer, and yet the Lord has saved us from every despicable, horrible thing we have ever thought, let alone done. It is too high. I cannot attain to it. This under rower position is an elevated position compared to the way Jesus found me when I was dead in my sins and transgressions. And here's the sweet thing about it. You're not in there alone. There are a lot of other people pulling on the oars beside you. And if you don't pull in time with the drummer, it's disharmony and disunity, and you're going to get nowhere fast. So you have to be sensitive to the people who were chained down there, but you're not chained in that vile place for real. You are bound to Jesus Christ for eternity. He is the captain of the ship. He knows where you're going. Maybe right now where you're going is potty training. Maybe where you're going is the first time leading a women's Bible study. Maybe it is mentoring someone. Whatever the thing is that the Lord has given you to do right now, he's just asking you to pull those oars in that boat right now with those fellows around you. And he gives you the strength to do it. And sometimes you get the trickle-down effect in ministry. I don't know if you've all found this. Just recently, I took up a, a new responsibility. I work with a group of high school kids in a theater program, and they put on a big play just last weekend. And uh, so I took the responsibility upon myself that I hadn't done for them before. And uh, I made a mistake. I misunderstood part of the procedure, and I did make a big mistake. But... We worked it out and solved the problem so that everyone was ministered to to the satisfaction of all God's children. But one, my sister in the Lord was a little put out by the stress it caused her. And, uh, I, you know, we, from the king on down, I went to the top of the organization who are personal friends of mine, and I humbled myself and I apologized to them and I said, it all falls to me, really. If, it, if it's going to cost money, I will pay whatever it's going to cost. Let me make it right. Because literally, you guys, it was my fault and I owned it. And then I sought forgiveness. Please forgive me. They were gracious. It was no big deal. They solved the problem. I went back to this woman. I humbly sought her forgiveness, told her it was all me. And yet she still, and oh yes, Martha, I forgive you. Of course I forgive you. Then she went around and sowed seeds of discord among the brethren. Some of it on Facebook. Y'all, some of you need to break your fingers because every idle word that proceeds from the tip of your tongue and the tip of your fingers is gonna be held account. So I was really hurt by this. My sister in the Lord, did you forgive me or did you not? Trickle, trickle, trickle. And I went before the Lord with this for days. I woke up in the middle of the night and I'm going over it again. Lord, did I miss a beat? Is it me? Have I done something wrong? No, you're good. You've made it right. 
you've done, but then why is it, you know, just pressing, pressing, you know, that thing that just keeps coming in your head? And I said, well, she needs to know that she is sowing seeds of discord among the brethren. Because listen, y'all, I can speak the truth in love and not, uh, without love and not break a sweat. For me to, to speak the truth in love to someone, and I do feel I did at this time by the grace of God, is a miracle. So I'm telling the Lord, she needs to know. She needs to be set straight. And he said, I could hear that still small voice of the Lord say to me, let it go. But Lord, I know. She's wrong. Yes, she is. But I'm working on her. That is her lesson. This is yours. Will you learn it? Will you put your hands on these oars and pull? Trickle, 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 pull, pull, pull. Yes, Lord, I will. Now, what he's doing with her is none of my business. The same good work he began in me is taking place everywhere else also. And you cannot always dictate to the Lord, she says tongue in cheek, like you ever could, how he's gonna use you to purify and refine someone else. In this particular season, I am the conduit that is teaching her whatever he's got on her plate to learn. And whether or not she learns it, hey, you all, the harvest belongs to the Lord. It's none of my beeswax. So when I get to heaven and glory, I'm not gonna say, I told you so to her, though in my heart of hearts, that's what I still wanna do today. <laughs> Let a man regard us in this manner as under rowers of Christ. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. And then through his half-brother James, he said, consider it all joy. Put your hands on the oars and pull. And remember that the captain of the ship, Jesus Christ himself, said, I will never leave you or forsake you. He's pulling right in there with you. He said, abide in me and I in you. That means that if you're in a place that's uncomfortable and things are getting dumped on your head, he is right there pulling along with you. And if it seems unfair that you're getting dumped on, I just want you to keep this in mind, have this perspective. The whole world of sin was dumped on Jesus Christ. And he said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. So a faithful under rower is gonna be called to forgive. Because if you're in a position of leadership, and we all are, you're going to be wronged sometime. Learn to forgive and to move on. Now, there are, just an addendum, higher things than being right or wrong. Have you all found this to be true? I kind of am still earning this lesson because I do want to be right. When I'm right, I want it noted in the win column. But there are higher things than that. Heaven is interested in Christ-like, not how many wins you have to your credit. And we need to forgive because we belong to the forgiver. And he is the one that is going to safely bring us home someday, ultimately, out of all these troubles, trials, and snares. When we shake off this mortal coil, we are gonna stand in his presence. He is going to welcome us with those nail-scarred hands and those nail-pierced feet. And he's going to say, I have prepared this banquet for you. The one who laid down his life and forgave me everything is now telling me to be his hands and his feet and to do Likewise, now go and do likewise. And you know, this world is gonna know us by our love. 
not our win column. Now, on a prettier note, let's move out of the belly of the ship and look at this ne next word, the stewards of the mysteries of God. Stewards are required to be found trustworthy. This is the Greek word oikonomos, and this is the guy who's the manager of the household or the household affairs. On a big estate, on a big farm, whatever, he's the overseer. The uh, first time it's mentioned, you see here in Luke chapter 12, Verse 42, and the Lord said, who then is this faithful and sensible steward whom his master will put in charge of his servants to give them their rations at the proper time? Well, that would be you and me. We are the ones who are called to do this work, to do the work of the steward. Write this down for your notes, you Bible students. First Peter 4.10. The same word is used in First Peter 4.10, and it says, now put yourself in this verse, as each one has received a special gift. That's all y'all. Everybody in here has a special equipping, a special gift from the Lord. So as each one has received that gift, whatever it may be, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. It is required that you be found trustworthy, and it is required that you employ the gift that God has given you in the role of the oikonomos, the steward. And a steward does not own any of the resources at his disposal. The, when I first read this verse many, many years ago and looked up these words, uh, the only thing I knew about stewards at that time came from Jane Austen. I don't know if y'all read Jane Austen, but books like Pride and Prejudice, there's this character named Mr. Darcy. Mr. Darcy was always wont to say, I must away for I have urgent business with my steward. And he would, off he'd go. And I thought, what is a steward? What in the world is that? Well, the uh, whole time that Mr. Darcy was out doing the Mr. Darcy thing, there was one solitary man back at Pemberley. And Pemberley, y'all, as it's written, was a vast, wealthy estate. There was an entire town of people that were dependent on the wealth of Darcy and his faithful steward who would dispense for the blessing of all whatever was needed, seed in seed time, help in harvest time, whatever it might be to keep that entire town of people running. The steward administered all but owned none of it. There's another example that I remember from my childhood about a steward, only we called them stewardesses. You remember these people? Listen, y'all, they don't own the plane. They don't own the blankets or the pillows. They don't own the food. You remember when it was food on an airplane? They don't own any of that stuff. It is at their disposal to bless and to comfort the people under their charge but they don't own anything. Can you imagine, y'all, what it would be like if you got on an airplane and one of those stewardesses pulled back the curtain and said, here's your peanuts, and just threw them at you? Listen, the hands and feet of Jesus don't chuck nuts at the people they're serving. We are called to do it in love, with grace and mercy. We are the hands and feet of Jesus. We need to act like Christ as we serve. Look at the adjectives in these several verses that are used to describe the steward. Faithful. It's also called trustworthy. And sensible. That's also translated wise. Are you 
faithful or trustworthy, sensible and wise in your stewardship of the gift that God has given you in the ministry he has called you to do. Uh, This good, faithful, uh, sensible steward is in direct contrast to the worthless steward we read about in uh, Luke chapter 16. Y'all, that guy was a scoundrel. But he has a lesson to teach us. He was like the prodigal son in that he was uh, wasteful of the riches at his disposal. He absolutely squandered everything that he had. But in the case of the worthless steward, the Lord has something to teach us in that he called that man wise. He said, this guy has that worldly wisdom, that savvy that says, I'm going to use whatever's at hand right now, invest it to secure my future. And that was the lesson that he wants us to learn. Whatever is at hand in your life right now, use it to invest in the gold and the silver and the precious stones of heaven so that when you get to heaven, the Lord will, you'll be able to hear those sweet words, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Aren't you looking forward to that day? Y'all, it could happen any minute. So be wise, be faithful, be worthy of the trust that has been placed in you. One of the ways to show your wisdom is to count the cost before you say yes. If you are involved to take part in some kind of a ministry, to be the hands and feet of Jesus in some situation, y'all, count the cost. Seek wise counsel. If you're married, discuss it with your husband, get his approval before you commit to doing something that's going to take time and energy and effort from your home. But most importantly, is the Lord leading you on this next step? Or are you asking him to tag along because it's something you want to do? Sensible and wise is the steward who understands that every single resource at her disposal belongs to him. She owns nothing. Everything from the breath, you, the air you breathe to the sun coming up in the east every morning, everything belongs to the God of the universe. When we read of Joseph in Potiphar's household, he was an example, a beautiful example of a sensible and wise, trustworthy steward. And y'all, he did it when it was inconvenient and uncomfortable and when it was not easy. He kept himself holy and pure, set apart for God, and did that hard work even when it became injurious to him personally. So when you've undertaken a ministry, it is so crucial that you finish what you start. It has been said that God does not need more people involved in the ministry, more more people of faith involved in ministry. What he needs is more faithful people who say, I will do it, and they do it. Count the cost before you commit. Uh, Be sure you are using your present circumstances to secure your future while it is still day, because the night is coming. And our time to be serving the Lord is very short. Occupy. Be about the work of good stewards until he comes. And that includes the stewardship of many things. Your time is one. Are you pouring over scripture every day, searching the word daily to to prove whether these things be so? 
That's a, a good use of your time, spending time alone with him, sitting at his feet. Your time is valuable. And if you're not doing those kinds of things to equip yourself, you're going to get out in the world and serve, and it's going to be more of you and less of him. So your time is a very important thing to be a good steward of. Uh, all the talents that you possess, whatever it is, are you honing and exercising the talents that God has given you? You've got to put them to use. They can't just sit around dormant like, you know, some tool in the blacksmith's shop, and then he goes to get it, and it's broken, it's dull, it's useless. Uh, what about your body physically? This is a hard one. Uh, are you getting enough sleep? Are you eating properly? Are you uh, physically active to the point at which you can? I know a woman who is a quadriplegic, and she has the joy of the Lord radiating from her like no one I've ever seen. She serves the Lord with gladness to the limit of her physical capability, but she knows what her limitations are. She knows what her body can and cannot endure, and she is reconciled with the Lord over it, all of it, and she just serves and serves and loves, and she will hug you with every ounce of strength she's got in her body, which is very little. It's amazing to watch this woman work and to minister. And I think most of our stewardship happens in private. It's so important that we're doing our due diligence where no one can see it because it's not putting on a show for the world. It is about the father and the daughter who are in communion with one another. And when you are doing that, you're going to be able to get up and get out there and put your hands on the oars and pull with all your might for his glory. And if you're not spending that time with him to recharge, you will be depleted very quickly. And people that you're ministering to will feed on you until you point them to Jesus and they learn to go directly to him. It becomes physically taxing. If the Lord has blessed you financially, then material riches can also be used to secure that future also. So whatever it is, in every way, in everything, store up your treasures in heaven while you're furthering the kingdom on earth. Be a good steward over everything with eternity in view. As I think about all the different places that Jesus walked and all the things he did with his hands, y'all, I am so humbled and also energized. And I just stand in awe that he has invited me, y'all, me, to take part in the work that he's still doing in the world today. Good works before the foundation of the world that we should walk in them. They're already prepared. That he invites me to take part of that just boggles my mind. I am in a uh, Bible study group with some women, and this is a group of very mature believers. I think between us, we've been walking with the Lord for over 150 years, and uh, they have served the Lord around the world, literally. And I shared with them some of these preliminary notes as I was studying, and it immediately just resonated with them. So I want to share with you just some of the thoughts that they had. Lisa is married to a man whose parents are deaf, and they speak ASL in their home. Her husband is an interpreter. Lisa's not a licensed interpreter. She could do the job in a pinch, and that's exactly where she found herself, in a pinch. He was in the military, so they were somewhere in Europe, and there was a three-day, two, three-day Bible conference that was taking the place in their area, and Lisa signed up to go, little knowing that the deaf wife of another serviceman had signed up to go without securing an interpreter. She said, told Lisa later, I came 
on faith that God would provide, and he provided Lisa. Now, I've done a little bit, a very little bit of American Sign Language interpreting, and I am here to tell you guys, it's exhausting. It is physically exhausting, emotionally exhausting, and even mentally taxing beyond anything. I couldn't do it, frankly. I, I knew if the Lord was calling me to, he would equip me to do it, but he didn't call me, so he didn't equip me, and it was hard. So Lisa sacrificed her Bible conference time to be this woman's single soul. You've been to a Bible conference probably, you know, all day for days. By the time it was done, she was wiped out. It sapped every little teeny tiny bit of strength out of her that she had. She was emotionally, uh, not wrecked, but she was very taxed emotionally, mentally, physically. She said she felt the power of the Lord equipping her while she was doing it. But y'all, when it was done, she was done. Nothing left. And it reminds me how much Jesus is sympathetic. Y'all, he knows what it is to be absolutely wiped out, physically exhausted. You remember the time he fell asleep in the back of the boat? His physical frame was gone. And he was so tired that he was able to sleep through that horrible tempest. And so much, so bad was that storm that those rough, tough professional fishermen feared for their lives. Don't you care about us? We're drowning. You know, Jesus is like, we're fine. I told you we're going to the other side. Let's just chill. So anyway, he is sympathetic to every physical exertion that you lay out. Remember when he sent out the disciples two by two? When they came back, he said to them, come aside and rest with me. Jesus will often call you aside. And sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is take a nap. You must get the rest that your physical body requires. I know of an internationally known uh, pastor and writer, speaker, and he was telling his congregation one week that he was going to be taking a vacation. And one of the old lady saints, forgive us, Lord, came up to him after and said, the devil doesn't take a vacation. And he thought, his first thought was, well, if he worked with you, he would. But he didn't say that. He said, the devil does not inhabit a physical frame, but we do. We need to come aside with Jesus and rest. If we don't come aside with him, y'all, we will come apart. He said, apart from me, you can do how much? Zippo. That's exactly right. So that was Lisa's time, uh, experience. Spend time with Jesus to replenish and revive. One of the other ladies in, the, in this group, her name is Arlene. She is in Poland, even now, right now, at a European uh, leadership conference. Christian leaders from all different parts of Europe go there. And as long as I've known Arlene, she is gone. She serves sacrificially uh, because apparently Americans have a bad reputation in Europe. Who knew? Selfish, arrogant, uh, you know, vain, all the things that is that absolutely true about Americans, but none of which is true about Arlene. She has gifts and talents galore. She's a single woman in her 30s, and she can do more things than I can number. But her principal identifier, as far as I'm concerned, is humility. She is that gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious to God. And y'all, we ha all have the same spirit. Some of us wear it on the inside. Some of us wear it on the outside. She's one of the ones that wears it on the outside too. She's just lovely. And she goes to do whatever is required. She has done everything from bookkeeping to housekeeping, janitorial work, whatever is needed. She is a body to be there and get the job done. And that blows these Europeans 
minds because they don't know what it is to volunteer like we do in America, but to think that that arrogant, selfish American persona would come here and serve me, wait on me, just be someone to minister to me is really a testimony. God has called her to such a time as this to dispel the stereotype. And she said, as she was telling us this, let me see if I get it just right. Sometimes God doesn't call you to use your gifts. Sometimes he calls you to be a body, just to be a body who stands in the gap, ready to do whatever the Lord calls you to do on this moment at this time. You know, almost everybody can push a broom, but almost nobody will. And Jesus is the one who put on flesh to dwell among us and to do the most menial things, to wash his disciples' feet. There was no job too small, no person too untouchable that Jesus did not take his feet and his hands and go and do. Now, Chris and her husband are in their late 60s. And in the days of our fellowship with them, they have been surrounded by the death of the saints. That's precious in the sight of God. But family members and friends, one after another, have been receiving terminal diagnoses. And there's all ages of the spectrum. They are in their late 60s, as I said, but some of the people that they have ministered to are younger. Um, And what do they do? They go to these people when the diagnosis is given and they say, we want to walk with you through this, wherever it goes. And they do, y'all. They go weekly, sometimes daily, to do whatever is needed to minister to these people until the Lord calls his saint on home. What a sanctified, precious gift they are giving. And I asked her, you know, do you, it's, you're in the valley of the shadow of death all the time. She's a joyful person. She said, we could not do it if we weren't called to it. It is a calling. And they weren't looking for it, y'all. It came to them unexpectedly. They had plans, travel plans, retirement plans. They had plans, y'all. But they have put everything aside to do what God has called them to and sacrifice their plans for a greater purpose. Do you remember on the way to Jairus' daughter? Jesus is also very unexpectedly stopped. It reads as though he didn't know what was going on. Who touched me? Of course, we know he knows, but It was an unexpected stop for the reader to comprehend. And this woman had suffered for 12 years so that you and I could learn a lesson about suffering and seeking and faith in the word of God. And in this instance, she did not seek the person of Jesus Christ per se. She sought the hem of his robe, if I can only touch the hem of his robe, because she read the Old Testament, a student of the word she was, and she believed the son of righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings. The wings are that hemline of a Jewish man's garment. And she said, if I can just touch it. And she did. Who touched me? And that whole exchange took place unexpectedly as Jesus was on his way to minister in a deathbed situation to someone else. You don't know what the Lord will call you to do when you wake up in the morning, but there will be new mercies waiting for you to get that job done. Kathy and I are both in our first years of grandparenting, as I said, potty training right now, and uh, we are loving it. 
but there are diapers involved, and sometimes big bombs are, are going off in our homes. And this is the closest home, closest to home ministry that both Kathy and I are in right now. So we like to compare notes all the time about how cute our grandchildren are. Oh, yes. But anyway, she said, dirty diapers are disgusting. There's no getting around it. Dirty diapers are disgusting, but your love for the child overcomes. In any ministry, she said, your love for those you serve will change your attitude about the trickle down. And then she added, be prepared to be cra do crazy things when God calls you. Now, one of the craziest things that I can think of is my sweet friend, Jill. She encountered a young man recently who was working the cash register, if that's even what they still call, call them in stores, the cash register at a cosmetic store, Ulta. Y'all know it? God bless this young man. I've seen him, y'all, and I've prayed for him. But Jill was Jesus with skin on for this guy recently. He is using every product in the store, ladies. And he's a frightening-looking young man. She was standing in line, and he was getting very flustered. And she could see that he was greatly troubled about something as he was helping the lady in front of her. When it came to be her turn, she said, are you okay? And he said, no, I, I feel sick, and, he, and I, I just don't feel well, and things are going so badly. And, you know, he listed several things. And she said, I'm a Christian. Is there anything I can do to help you? You guys, it, makes me, it just makes me want to weep to, to tell you this. And he said, I don't know, I just don't know. And she said, can I get you some water? Yes. You mean, water would be good. Okay. Would you like some tea? She, yeah, tea would be good. Tea be good. I'll be right back. She leaves. She gets in her car. She drives across the parking lot to a little eatery. She buys him chicken soup, a muffin, a bottle of water, and a tea. She gets in her car. She drives back. And now he's outside. He's got on a hoodie zipped up and the hood over it. And she said he was frightening looking. He just looked frightening. She pulled up alongside him. She rolled down the window. And she said, here. The mom in me wants you to have this chicken soup. But the Christian in me wants you to know that God loves you. That God sees you here. And he knows what you're going through. And he said, do you want to pray with me? And she said, do you want me to pray with you? He said, yes. So she prayed with him. Amen, she said. And he said, do you want me to go to church with you? And she said, do you want me to go to church with you? Do you want to go to church with me? And he said, now you guys, he's frightening looking, I'm telling you. Eyelashes, fingernails. And he said, would they want this there? And it broke my heart because I'm not sure we would. He is one of that generation that is not sure what it is to be male and female. Jesus went to the lepers of his day. If you are willing, the leper said. And Jesus said, I am willing. I will, it is my will to drive sin from your life to the most untouchable, the most disgusting people of his day. And he reached out and touched this leper and he was made whole instantly. There was another young lady that came into a ministry, same lady, same friend of mine. It's a, a young people's ministry, high school age. And this young lady came in. First night she was there. And I think she just wandered in off the street. And as they were talking, and she was seeing how all these young people loved on each other and interacted, she couldn't believe. She was overwhelmed by the love. And she told Jill that she was undergoing hormone therapy for a sex change operation. 
and scheduled for a double mastectomy in just a couple months. And she got gloriously saved that night. Y'all, we have been called for such a time as this. Who are the lepers of our day? Do you remember in the 70s, for those of you who came through maybe the Jesus movement, there were those filthy, dirty, smelly hippies that were shoeless. And some people looked at them like they were lepers and said, what are those filthy people doing in our church? They're going to get the carpet dirty. Those were the lepers of their day. We have a whole new thing to contend with. And the Lord is asking us, will you put your hands on these oars and pull them? Only by grace. Only by grace. And we do this ministry that he has called us to today. And I'm telling you, most of you are moms, I'm thinking. It is the moms who will be the first one because that's somebody's child. And if it was ours, would you want to reach your hands out and engulf them in the love of Christ and set them free? For such a time as this, y'all, it is required of stewards that they be found trustworthy. Oh my goodness, y'all. One last thing as we're closing. Jesus' feet took him all over the hillsides of Judea and all along the shores of Galilee. He walked everywhere he went and he grew weary. And there came a day when he had spent all day with 5,000 men and their women and their children. And his heart of compassion broke for them because they had no shepherd and they also had no food. And he took those five loaves and those two fishes and he broke them. Now, how long does it take to stand and minister food for what would 15, 20,000 people? He must have stood there till his legs ached and his arms grew weary and his hands just ached from breaking bread and fish and bread and fish so that everyone else was satisfied. Then when that done, he sent the disciples out and said, now go, collect up what remains. And this wasn't like, like you know, a, a bread with a bite out of it. No, it was fresh, unused portions. They came back with 12 baskets full. Has it ever struck you odd that they didn't come back with 13? Nobody brought anything back for Jesus? His physical frame needed sustenance. And they came back with 12 baskets full and none for him. What will we bring back to Jesus when we go to sit at his feet? What he wants is you. He wants your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That would be the best stewardship of everything you have. To be that faithful under rower. To take inventory to pull at the oars that God has given you to pull and to be faithful. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, it is humbling to come before you and hear these words, but we know it is your heart. You did it first. And we are just now to walk in your footsteps and be your hands and feet to this lost and dying world. And Jesus, they are gonna know us by our love. Please equip us. Lord, when we get in those moments where we say, I believe, Lord, help my unbelief. When we want to want to do your will, but that stubborn rebellion in our hearts gets in the way, Lord Jesus, please grant us repentance and help us to stand up before you in your strength in this time to do your work 
wherever it is that you lead us. In your name I pray, Lord Jesus. And all the bride of Christ said, amen.